0: You for joining us in Finding God in Video Games. In today's rewind, we're taking a look back at a, a stubborn love problem that I've had, specifically around Sega. Now, I will admit, I've always been a Sega fanboy. I, I come by it honestly. It all started one night at a friend's house when he invited me to play a video game. And being a proud owner of a Nintendo Entertainment System myself, I was a little curious about what game system he had in mind. Because in my world, all I'd played to that point were you know, Atari games. i played some Commodore 64, a cousin who had an Intellivision, and on weekends, if we were really lucky, I'd get to hit the arcade at the mall. If I lost you with any of those references, all I can say is you missed out on the Golden Age. But you could probably just find some ROMs or some emulators somewhere to relive it. But. We didn't really know, at least I didn't what I was about to play, so I approached this new console with a little bit of trepidation. It was jet black and shiny, not like my gray, homely-looking little NES box. I saw the name on it, Genesis, and then I watched as he placed a copy of Altered Beast into the system and turned it on, and suddenly I was transported to the arcade. Well, to my young mind, anyway, the graphics were unable to be believed. I heard real spoken dialogue. Well, it was only a few words, and it was, I think, just rise from your grave or something like that, but still, such concepts were unbelievable, and I realized that I was meant to follow Sega with blind loyalty from that point on. And this continued into my young adulthood as I stubbornly purchased a Sega Saturn and a copy of Rayman while all my friends were talking about this newfangled PlayStation thing that Sony had cooked up, and some odd-looking orange character named Crash Bandicoot. I mean, seriously? Sony? Video games? some giant rodent nobody had ever heard of, I just knew that would never last. Well, it did. But then when the PS2 hit, my friends were certain that that would be the moment I would finally drink the Sony Kool-Aid, but not this guy, oh no. I was Sega Dreamcast all the way. Soul Calibur, Power Stone, the 2K Sports series, I was certain that this time I had finally backed a winner. But alas, the overpowered, undersupported Dreamcast faded into obscurity, while Sony has continued to thrive to this present day. And I sit in a home now with all kinds of Sony PlayStation systems—PS3s, PS4s—I think there's a Sony Vita somewhere around here, painfully conceding defeat, but still secretly holding out hope that there will be a day when Sega will rise and make the glorious return I always believed they were capable of, and I can finally say to all of my friends who to this point have been correct, I told you so. But unfortunately for me, the possibility of a SEGA industry comeback is as incredibly unlikely as my beloved Arizona Cardinals winning the Super Bowl. I mean, if you've watched any football in the last few years, it's uh, it's not looking good. I guess I'm just a sucker for the hard luck case, the underachiever that still has potential. And fortunately, I'm in good company. Uh, Let's look at the story of Moses, for example. Those stories have been told and retold for generations. They've been epically portrayed at cinema by none other than people like Charlton Heston. And to this day, Moses stands as arguably the defining figure of the entire biblical Old Testament. But it's not all of the miracles or the signs or the confrontation with the leader of the known world at that time that I'm interested in today. No, it's something a whole lot simpler, something much more human and mundane but infinitely heroic and amazing that I find inspiring in the character of Moses. Only this time, instead of Genesis, the story actually starts with the word Exodus specifically Exodus chapter 32, where we find Moses on top of a mountain talking to God about, I guess you'd say a very unpleasant situation, because this was right after the Israelite nation had escaped from Egypt after over 400 years of slavery and servitude. Now, one would expect that after all the supernatural displays of power that God had shown through Moses, that the people that he had freed would be as eternally grateful as the group of three-eyed aliens that were pulled out of a dispenser by Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story 2. I mean, these people witnessed some of the most amazing miracles in the history of the Bible, and route to a dramatic aquatic finishing move on their enemies that only God could have orchestrated. And yet, the next two chapters are filled with their faithless, impatient, incessant whining and complaining. Complaints about water were answered by a stream of fresh H2O, courtesy of a rock. Hunger pains were met with freshly baked donuts from heaven. That's my interpretation. A man, are you free to have your own? And when their delicate palates cried, where's the meat? They were recipients of fresh, hot, juicy quail, a whole buffet of them, courtesy of God's desert delivery service. And all Moses asked of them was to sit tight at the base of the mountain while he climbed up and downloaded instructions from the Lord. So here we are, 40 days later. Moses was receiving the final details on all of God's rules for living, and after that final line is written, God gives Moses a very solemn update on the situation that was unfolding below. Their people's impatience had reached a boiling point, and they had launched into a drunken celebratory orgy, claiming that their new deity of choice was some golden cow that they had just created from their own jewelry. I'll let that sink in for just a moment, after all of the amazing supernatural events that these people had witnessed, and in point of fact owed their very lives to, they still chose to proceed with a handcrafted counterfeit that had no value, other than the gold that they had contributed to its creation. But it's easy to sit here and say, I can't imagine how anyone could be so blind as to ignore the very real existence of God and choose such a paltry fake in his place. But then I'd probably be condemning a lot of us, myself included, at multiple points in my life as well. The sad fact is that God intervenes personally in our lives on a daily basis in ways that we often refuse to acknowledge. And yet, we will take that credit that's rightfully due to Him and give it to any number of other circumstances or our own personal creations instead. When we lose our job, we're quick to blame God, but when we get a promotion, We claim that it's our intellect or our hard work and all of our preparation that provided for us. We get into a traffic accident, then we believe, oh, God failed to protect us. When an ambulance just happens to be nearby and able to respond quickly, we miss the reality that it was God's mercy and providence that had the solution prepared. So immediately I realize before I judge the people at the bottom of this mountain too harshly, I do need to recognize that that same attitude continues to this very day in each and every one of our hearts, and it's only because God has seen fit to cleanse my heart of these desires that I'm free from its grasp, and I believe that the same compassionate mind was present in Moses as we see the conclusion to this drama unfold. So God's jealous anger reaches a crescendo. And he instructs Moses. He said, give me some space. I am just going to wipe them all out. Just I'm over it. I'm done with it. And he extends to Moses the same promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so many centuries before. This was the big covenant promise that God would make Moses and his family the building blocks of a new nation without any of the challenges that Moses was currently facing with these people. That's that's an incredible offer. God was making Moses an offer that almost nobody on the planet could have refused. A fresh start with preferred status, none of the overhead. Then we see the true heart and character of Moses revealed. The reason he was chosen as the leader of God's people and named as God's friend. He compassionately and selflessly appealed to God's mercy and begged for forgiveness on behalf of those who at this point had no hope, no redeeming qualities, warranting their pardon, and even right at that moment were currently in the act of shaming themselves before the Lord. Moses refused to give up on these people. People that we would all probably have given up on immediately, especially when God offered Moses a personal get-out-of-the-desert-free card. That is some blind, stubborn, fanboy love right there. Moses could have taken the easier path. Nobody would have blamed him. He could have taken the shiny offer from God and ran with it all the way to the bank. But Moses would walk in the desert until the day of his death with this ungrateful, hopeless group of people because he loved them and he would carry them on his back if he had to in order to get them to the Promised Land. So we'll leave that story there for now, with Moses convincing God to offer a stay of execution for those that had not earned it, and God actually changing his mind and listening to the voice of a man. Now, I cannot pretend for a moment to have the capacity for love that Moses carried for that group of people. True, I guess I've illustrated how I've steadfastly clung to my underdog favorites in various areas of my life, but this takes the whole concept to an entirely different level. To stubbornly believe it and love those who don't deserve it. To love them hard enough and strong enough to turn away the very judgment that they rightfully brought upon themselves. That is not only the characteristic of Moses on display here, it's the very embodiment of Christ's mission here on earth as well. Jesus has given us what we don't deserve—love, grace, and the opportunity to have eternal life—rather than what we have earned, which is punishment and judgment for our bad choices. And for him, it came at an incredibly painful cost. Moses chose to fight, suffer, and eventually die alongside his people rather than take the easy path. Jesus also chose to be savagely beaten and murdered by the very creatures that he had created rather than sit comfortably in heaven and watch us struggle and fell. That is what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, to take a pass on what would benefit us personally and instead take the goodness of God to those who have done nothing to deserve it. Now, maybe for you, it might take a different form than it does for others. For some, it's a call to the mission field to brain the Lord's message to those who have never heard it, turning away from all of the comforts of home. For others, it's devoting themselves to a life of serving others, giving their extra time to help the less fortunate around them. Or maybe it's more personal for you. Maybe it's someone or a group of people in your life that simply don't deserve your forgiveness, your help, or your love. But just like my beloved dust-covered Sega Saturn, which this very day is lovingly resting in a box somewhere, it's not about the qualities of the object of affection. It is about you and the choice you make to love in spite of the challenges, to love the way that Moses loved, the way that Jesus loved, in a way that doesn't see what others say or what the current condition of the situation is, simply chooses to love and sees the beautiful potential rather than what currently exists. Well, that takes a blind, stubborn love, the same way God still loves us to this day. We're all recipients of this incredible, stubborn love, and the primary condition upon receipt of this is to give it away.